Hello, everyone. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to Speaking of the Arts. My guest today is David Scholemson. For over 30 years, David has served as Pat Metheny's manager. Along with Ted Kurland, I consider David to be one of my biggest mentors in the business, and I am truly grateful for the time I spent working with him. David, thanks so much for taking the time to be here today. I've really been looking forward to doing this episode with you. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Nice to be speaking with you. Yeah. Well, let's start with just a little bit of a background here. How did you get started in the music industry? Well, um, I I was very, very close friends with someone who was um, with Gary Burton at the time. And and, um, Gary had asked me at that point in my life if I wanted to go out on the road with him. And I said, no, I don't think so. I was actually selling camera processing systems and doing all kinds of things that I didn't really want to do. Um, I was a musician. I played guitar and was a songwriter from the time I was 12 till about 25 when I maxed out my credit cards and decided I had to get a job. And um, after doing a bunch of stuff, that, that opportunity came up and I turned it down. But at the same time, while I was hanging out with Gary, there was this young guy, Pat Matheny, wandering around his house. Uh, listening to a new record that he had just recorded, and when I heard it, it was like, "Wow, this is really cool." I don't, I don't know, you know, it's kind of different for jazz. I didn't even know much about jazz at that point. So, it came upon Gary about two weeks later. He says, "You know, my agent's looking for, you know, an agent. Would you be interested in doing bookings?" I said, "Yeah, it's music. Sounds like fun." So I met Ted, and I go, "Oh, you know," and he said, "Yeah, you know, if you want to do this, this is great. You know, I'll teach you what to do." I've only been doing this for about a year and a half myself or two years, so you know, you can just sit in my office and listen for a couple of weeks and figure it out. And I said, okay, sounds good to me. So that's how it all started. And I've been working, uh, we started working on you know, plywood desks and cinder blocks in the beginning, um, you know, working, booking about maybe four acts at the time. I think it was Oregon, Jack DeJeanette. Pat had just left Gary's band and was touring. And um, I think the Heath Brothers... I think that was about it. So I got indoctrinated pretty pretty well in the beginning. And uh, about two years later, in about 1979, uh, Pat had just come out with American Garage and decided that he wanted to go on the road with a piano and sound system because in the past his issues with Lyle's piano were constantly a, a problem. So he comes up to me and he says, you know, how would you like to be tour manager? And I go, uh, I don't know. What do I do? And he goes, Oh, it's easy. You just collect the bread and you just get us from point A to point B. And I went, Oh, okay. That sounds easy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I unfortunately was the, was, you know, I created my own doom on that tour because I had booked 17 one nighters in a row, two shows a night for like the first part of the tour. And after about the fourth day on the road with those guys playing two shows a night and sleeping about four hours a night, I was like hallucinating sitting in the lobby trying to get them out to the car to get them to the airport. So it was quite an experience going out with the band. And I really learned a lot by being on the road for, we were on the road for about three and a half months. And, uh, you know, when I got back, it, it was getting to the point where Pat was starting to become more popular, needed more help. And he summoned Ted and I and said, look, would you guys want to manage me? And I said, you know, Ted and I said, yeah, sure. You know, we'll do it. And we said, you know, what do you want us to do? And he said, I just want to write and play and you take care of everything else. So unfortunately, I went, oh, yeah, that sounds easy. (laughs) And uh, it was for maybe about three months. And then, you know, everything just started to really roll. 
And from that point on, I mean, Ted and I have been managing Pat for, I guess it's going on 38 years now, something like that. Um, and it's evolved and changed, and, you know, we learned a lot as we went along. And um, here we are. Wow. Yeah. I, I could listen to you talk about this all day. Um, and I definitely want to ask you some specific questions about what it's like to work with Pat, what it's like to manage tours, and, and what it's like to manage recording dates and everything like that. Um, maybe I could have you start, though, by just we could talk a little bit more in general terms, in, you know, as far as what a manager is today. I mean, what what is, in your opinion, like what is the main role of an artist manager today? And and how has that changed as compared to when you first started out over 38 years ago now? Well, firstly, I would say that being a manager, it, it's different in every single case because it really depends on what the artist wants you to do. If And in some cases, you know, they don't even know what they want you to do. They just want you to kind of make things happen. <laughs> and other artists have are completely driven, know what they want, and just need you to help execute their vision, which is Pat. So, and it's always been that way. So, it, it really depends on the you know the artist and the manager. It depends on what the manager is capable of doing, and it depends on what the artist really wants the manager to handle for him or her. So, it's much different now than it was back when I started. When I started managing Pat. Uh, the job basically was interfacing with the record company a lot in terms of promotion and marketing when we went on tour and, you know, making records. Making records in those days, I mean, th these were all separate little entities. Um, but making records in those days, you know, you go in the studio for a good amount of time and the record company has, you know, wants to have some input. They help with the marketing and the publicity and all of that stuff. And you do basically print advertising to promote your tour and your records. There were record stores, remember those? And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a completely different environment. And music culturally was a very important, I think, piece of Americana at that point. People really listened to music. People made that, in, uh, a, a, besides a form of entertainment, a, a form of art, where you know, I, I remember for myself, I remember getting a new Pat record, you know, I couldn't wait for him to get out of the studio and, you know, get the music and listen to it. And I would just sit down and listen to it like 10 times and just, you know, really be focused on it for a whole evening. Now music seems to have become a little bit more of a subsidiary entity, you know, in the scheme of things behind what eight other things that you're doing, working on the computer or watching TV or doing some other technological thing. Or working 20 hours a day. It's a, it's a different culture at this point. And also, the touring situation was, I mean, when Pat went out, and when I went out with Pat, there were so many places to play. We literally played literally three months, three and a half months straight without, and that's just in America. That's not even around the world. I mean, if, it, if that was today, we could probably do 300 days a year, which was basically what Pat was doing worldwide when I first started. And when we first started booking Pat, and it's just a very different environment now. You can't do that. You can't play the same city twice in one year or three times in one year. It's very difficult because there's so much going on, and it's it's a whole different environment from a touring and a recording standpoint at this point. And also, record company wise, there was 
I would say probably 14 record labels at that time, major ones. Now there's like three or four. So it's a whole different situation in terms of how to market and sell your records. And of course, you know, social media is the format at this point. And newspapers are gone and TV for most artists is gone unless you have a special and you're a very large artist. Um, and it, it's it, another part of my job now is marketing and promotion because the record companies aren't involved so much in tours and records as much as they used to be because they basically have this, they're in the same boat we are. They've got a list of people who, you know, are assigned to, you know, go to the record company for information, which isn't a whole lot, but most of the people come to us to Pat Matheny's website or they come to our Facebook page, which amazingly enough, we have like about a half a million Facebook followers at this point. And it's just a whole different way to try to reach people. So that whole part of marketing and promotion is is really much more difficult. You have to be really creative and come up with you know ways of kind of getting the word out to people, get them to listen, get their attention. So it's... Uh, it's different on many, many levels of recording as well as touring these days compared to the past. Yeah, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head. Of course, attention is, is, is sort of the key. Um, can you maybe, here, here's what I'm really curious. I mean, given your the experience you've had, what advice would you have for an artist who's just starting up now trying to make a name from, for themselves? I mean, that's a pretty open-ended question, but what are some things that come to mind because I recall when I was working with you, you would get a lot of uh, management requests from artists. And mm -hmm. I think maybe based on the criteria you're looking for, which is very specific for an artist, if you're going to consider taking them on a client, that I would imagine you would still have to have that conversation with them, especially if it's an artist who's, who's just starting out, but for whatever reason they happen to speak you know, to you and to, with their music. Mm -hmm. I mean, what comes to mind? What would you tell them? You know, I'm to be honest. <laughs> I, I I really don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I really don't know what I would say. I mean, if somebody's you know, I sent me something and it's really great. Um, I I always have to choose whether I want to be a fan or I want to be, you know, a manager for this person. And the only reason I would be a manager for the person is if I felt that I could make a difference in elevating the popularity and. Uh, you know, on a financial level, on a uh, artistic level, and you know, make a difference because it's easy to just you know get dates booked and take a commission, and you know, and eventually it just it you know it doesn't work out. I've, I've worked with other artists who I love very very much. I still love them dearly, but it it wasn't a situation that made it worthwhile for them and and myself, I suppose. To really continue because you know I just wasn't able to kind of get to the point where I could get them to where they wanted to be. So that you know that's happened a little bit in the past. It's 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 really difficult these days to take someone on unless you have a hundred percent faith in them and have the time and want to put all of your passion and effort into you know trying to get them heard. Which is really difficult. Depends on you know the music too. I mean, jazz is like it's right now in this culture. It's like trying to push a boulder up a mountain. 
I mean, it's really <laughs> difficult. There's just not a whole lot of interest. So, you know, you got to come up with something creative and hopefully it'll catch. And, you know, if I heard something I really liked and I felt like, yeah, not only is this great, I can I can do something with this, then I would probably just go for it. But I will say, <laughs> on the other hand, at this point in my career, for me personally, um, you know, Pat, I do a lot of stuff for Pat. I handle a lot of his, his stuff, and it takes up a lot of my time. And I never, ever sacrifice any anything for, you know, Pat. I don't want to take on another act and then be split, you know, and I can't do a great job for either of these people. So, you know, Pat right now is, and always has been my first priority. Um, you know, it's like the old saying, you know, you, if you chase two foxes, you can't really catch either one of them. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, I like to just chase the one. Right. You know, I right was thinking, I was, in preparing for this episode, I was thinking about a lot of the experiences I had, and a lot. I, well, what I should say is a lot of the lessons learned working with you. Mm-hmm. One thing that stood out to me was the sort of the importance of learning how to empathize with an artist. So mm-hmm. when you're responding to requests from fans, mm-hmm. the tone and, and the message in your response is really as close as possible to what the artist would actually want conveyed. Is that right. something that you had to learn how to do over time? Because you were really good at that, and, that, and that's definitely something I learned from you. Well, I, I think it's a combination of two things. I think, one, it's my nature <laughs> to kind of be like that. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, the other thing is, yeah, I mean, you have to kind of drop your ego out out of the box to do your job well. That's my personal opinion. Maybe other managers may disagree. But my job is, is not it's not about me. It's about Pat. So everything that comes out of my mouth and everything that I try to do is for him. Because that's my job. It's not you know there are certain artists who will come and say, well, you know, what what should I record next? What should I do next? And it's like how do I know? I'm not the artist. I'll, I'll go make my own record if I know. You know, it's like I like artists who have a vision of what they want to do and, you know, just say, okay, this is what I'm going to do next. And then I'll put my two cents in. I'll say, hey, that's not a good idea. And I think, you know, this might be better or whatever. And if the artist says, no, I'm doing this, then I go, okay. And then we do that and we do the best we can with whatever that happens to be. So, yeah, you know, it's it's different but it's it's not it's it's more of a personal thing i mean it's it's kind of who i am I, and it's also you know having the respect for the for your audience which pat really really has so a lot of the time he doesn't know you know all the requests that we get and how we deal with everybody but i, I think he probably hears hears it on the road every once in a while we have very very loyal fans and i really appreciate the fact that they you know have stuck with pat listened to a lot of his music over you know, 46 records. There's not a lot of artists who, you know, can carry that for that long. And we respect these people and we're friends with a lot of the fans and, you know, we really try to take care of everybody. Right. And that's a good segue because I want to ask a few specific questions about what it's like uh, as a manager on the recording side of things. Mm -hmm. Pat has always been associated with some of the world's best labels, Nunsuch and Warner Brothers and Geffen and ECM. Mm-hmm. In general, what is the recording process like for you as a manager when a new record is being worked on? 
what goes down? Um, you mean with the actual recording process of how it's going to happen and all that? Yeah, I think okay. people listening would be curious to hear. What, I mean, what, what's it like from your perspective when um, time is blocked out for a new recording? Mm-hmm. Um, well, basically, again, I'm sort of following Pat's lead on this because he'll decide who the musicians are, what the project is. He's written the music already. And it's just my job, basically, to ask the questions of him to try to figure out a budget on, you know, how much is this going to cost? How long do you have to be in the studio? Can you do this, you know, your parts at home? Can we do, you know, how do we do it? So he'll basically give me a rough schedule. And then no matter what he says, I'll always kind of cushion it because, you know, as all artists, I probably shouldn't say this because he'll probably hear this. <laughs> but I do, I do cushion things a little bit, you know, just because there's always that, you know, it's going to be this way. And it's like, yeah, okay. You know, and then I kind of add my little thing in there. So I've got to, you know, budget out the records so that we don't, you know, overspend so much. I have to deal with all the legal issues with the lawyer and with the record company, make sure we're in the contract properly and uh, work with the record company in terms of release dates, artwork, and stuff like that. It's it's more coordinating. Again, in Pat's case, Pat really, you know, works with the record company directly in terms of the artwork and gets that organized. Um, he does all the recording. He does a lot of stuff himself, you know, when it comes to the recording. So, you know, basically my job is to just deal with the budgets, the money, make sure everything's straight like that. I have to negotiate with the musicians, you know, rent the studio, and deal with all of the um, all of the expenses for the recording, and make sure it you know comes in at a reasonable price. Sure. So, yeah. what, what what's one of the more difficult recording challenges you've faced over the years? <laughs> yeah, there've been a few. There's always one that sticks out in my mind because uh, you know you talk about you know you have to have in order to be good at anything you do besides just being a manager for music, you have to have a real passion and really be deep in what you do to do it well. If you don't care and you're not that into it, boy, it's like it's really hard. And you know, this this job is a when you're a manager, it's 24/7 365 whether you're on duty, off duty or whatever. You're always by your phone, you know, in case somebody something's needed. There was a time I think it was yeah, it was during um, um Secret Story. When Pat came to me after he had recorded for about three weeks and said, you know, I recorded this song and it's got some, it's got like a Cambodian children's choir on it. And it's uh, it's a tune that was called Above the Treetops. And he said, I, I think I, I think we probably should get permission to use some of this. <laughs> and I went, yeah, I think we should. So I I got as much information as I could and I and I just couldn't find it. I mean, I couldn't figure out who really owned this, rec- you know, the recording. After about a week and a half of research, I finally found out that it was owned by some little French recording company and uh I sent them an email and um didn't hear back for a while and finally got an email back and I explained to them that, you know, Pat Metheny wants to use, you know, as part of this Cambodian choir. It's a beautiful record and you know, here's how it's going to be used. I sent them a little clip. And the guy sent me a thing back, and he said, well, I talked to the producer, you know, produced this record. It's, you know, it's a small thing, and uh, but no, they don't really want you to do it. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. 
So I remember laying in bed at night, you know, going, oh, my God, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, Pat's recorded this already. It's really great. You know, I got to get this guy to do it. So, you know, I thought about it for a while. And then the next day I wrote back to him and I said, um, you know, I said, you know, Pat Matheny sells a lot of records. And, you know, it would be really great if, you know, if you would let us use this. In fact, we would even put your name you know, the name of the choir and all the information on how to buy that record in the liner notes so that people know where it came from and then they would, you know, want to buy your, you know, buy the record so they know where to find it. And um, the guy came back, he said, well, I don't know, let me talk to the producer. And he came back and finally he said, okay, if you put that in there, we'll do it. I, I'd never told Pat that the guy said no. I had to suffer for about four days, <laughs> that kind of thing, because there was no way I was going to, you know, go to him and say, uh, you can't use that on the record. So right. finally, we did get permission for him. They did it at a very reasonable rate, and it's in there on that record. And that's, you know, that record is Pat's largest selling record of all of his records. So uh, I, I remember there, there was a lot of times, you know, buses break down in the middle of the night in the old days when we couldn't really afford decent buses and there was a lot of stuff that went on but after a while we kind of got it down so we all sort of became veterans and kind of knew what to do in difficult situations every tour there's always you know a problem here or there and we just you know we deal with it yeah so, uh, that's such a great example though of something that happens behind the scenes that you know is really the essence of what you have to do as a manager getting permission to use a certain song that there's no information to be found. But I'm, I'm glad you told that story. Yeah, yeah, you know, it happens a lot. I mean, you know, a lot of managers, we do we do a lot of stuff, and you don't really see it, you know, it's because we don't go to the artist and go, oh, gee, you know, well, we can't do this, you know, and have to hear, well, go do it, you know, you got to do it. And it's like, well, okay, I'll go back and try again. And then, so they're not sort of in on the process of, of a lot of things that get, you know, has to get done. So, um you know, I, I don't sit here and, you know, toot my horn a whole lot. It's just, again, not my nature to do that. I just do my job, you know. I think Bill Absolutely, Belichick yeah. stole my, uh, my thing there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it's so interesting. I mean, Pat is, is really like, he's the type of artist that, I don't know, you, you kind of get one of them every generation maybe. And, you know, mm -hmm. we're not, we don't have to go into all his awards and accolades, mm -hmm. although 20 Grammys and counting isn't too bad. But yeah. I think what I'm interested in hearing you talk about is, I mean, what are some of the challenges that are that associated with someone like Pat, who's just so prolific and creative? Do you, do you find it hard to kind of help him keep a balance, or what's that aspect of working with him like? No, I mean he's, I mean he's amazing. I mean he he's just an amazing human being. I mean I don't think I know anybody like him. You know, it's funny again, showing my regionality here. You know. I've always sort of had this feeling he he's like he and Tom Brady are very much alike. <laughs> I've, Ooh, you know, know I've had this feeling for years now. This podcast from all over the country, not just in New England. <laughs> I know, I know, easy now. No, Pat doesn't like to flake guitars or do anything like that. It's okay. So, um, you know, it, it's just I, I the drive that I see, like with Tom Brady, right. The relentless work and, and hard work that he puts into practicing and the results that he gets and never gives up and always fights for what he really wants. Pat's the same way. I see. I just feel the same thing from, you know, Pat's always been like that. He would never give up. If he wants, 
you know, to create something. I, I've seen this guy stay up for four days in a row writing something or getting something done where other people would just never do that. And I've, he works really hard, and that's something that nobody sees, you know, out in, you know, from the street. He is a very, very hard worker. He's, this, it's, his life is, as he says, you know, just trying to play the good notes <laughs> and write, you know, great music, and he does, you know, and he, he will not sacrifice anything for the music. The one time when Pat's really difficult is if you get in the way of him and, and the music part of the thing, then he can get testy, <laughs> and rightfully so. He's not the guy who's going to yell at you because, you know, there's no green M&Ms in the dressing room or anything, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, if people are roaming around backstage making noise and he's trying to practice or, you know, people are just being rude or just disregarding, you know, what he's doing, then, you know, he, he, can, he can be upset about that. And that's totally fine because I would do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. have enormous respect for for Pat for you know the way he handles himself, the way he you know creates. It's just you know it's amazing. Yeah. A lot of people you know have a lot of talent, but they don't work hard enough to keep really developing the talent. And again, I'm going to say this probably for about the third time. How many people do you know who could put out like forty? I think it's forty six. Forty six great records. I mean, some you may not like because of the style or something, but every record is carefully recorded and conceived, and it's just, you know, there's just not that many people. A lot of people repeat themselves, and they just, you know, keep, you know, doing stuff, and then they kind of fade out. But Pat will always keep creating, and sometimes culture will accept what he's writing and playing, and other times it just won't crisscross, and, you know, they won't get it, but that's okay. Everything he does, he's done, I think he would say he feels comfortable with, you know, putting out to the world. Absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I just real quick, the, your point about how hard he works. I mean, when I realized I had to learn everything possible about him if I was going to, you know, work with you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I was I was somewhat familiar with his music, um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't until I really – uh, got a bigger understanding of who this person was that it dawned on me that he really, you know, he started um, just as everybody else does. And it was, as you're describing now, his drive uh, to learn and to get better and to always create that was strong, was bigger than anybody else's. And that mm-hmm. was a big lesson to me because especially as someone who was a music student at one point, I mean, you know, you there's always this sort of, I don't know, aura about great players that are, Genera- uh, a couple generations above you, you just assume that maybe they were born that way, but that's not the case. He just worked harder than anybody, and and I, it really comes across hearing you describe what it's like working with him. That um, mm-hmm. that's the case. So it's it's just a great reminder that you know he really is just a consummate um, hard worker. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, I I'm grateful for the fact that. He's, sometimes he asks for like really impossible stuff, <clears throat> and again on an artistic or business level, and you know it's like wow, how am I going to do this? You know, it's like, and I I never thought I could, but I do because I don't I'm you know I don't give up either. <laughs> so I would just keep going until I got it. You know, it's like wow, you know. So he's pushed me in a lot of ways um, that really helped me grow, and I you know I really appreciate that a lot. You know, from working with Pat. Sure. 
Well, yeah. let's talk a little bit specifically about your relationship with him um, as a manager as it relates to touring. You've mentioned a few things. Mm-hmm. One thing, again, just going back to what I learned was, and you already mentioned this um, in this episode, but he is so conscious of his audience and so aware of the importance of giving them just an incredible experience in the live show. Mm-hmm. You've been with him from day one, pretty much. I mean, is that something that was he was conscious of from the beginning or when you first started working with him, or did it slowly develop over the years? Um, I think he's he's always been aware of it. I think he's gotten better at it. You know, over time, like we all do, the more he does it. I mean, I, one day we were actually sitting around joking. We we're trying to figure out actually how many gigs he's actually played. <laughs> and we're not even – we can't figure it out. I mean, it's just mind-boggling really how many he's probably played. But, yeah, from the beginning of time, I mean, he he's always meticulous about how he sets up the set and how, you know, the performance is going to be. He understands the concept of performing – for an audience as opposed to just, you know, playing for yourself. And a lot of people, you know, there are certain artists who will play maybe because they have to kind of spread the tunes around the band, you know, because some people, you know, they feel like they want some of the other band members to have some of their tunes in the set. Or, you know, maybe maybe I just want to play this tonight and I don't care, you know, I'm just going to do this. And you know, he, he plays for himself, but he's very aware of the act of, of, of performance. So, you know, you don't want to play like five ballads in a row because you feel kind of tired or you feel kind of sad one night and the audience is sitting there going, huh? (laughs) So, you know, he understands that and he really, again, like everything else he does, very meticulous about how he sets up a show so that it flows really, really well, in his opinion. He he knows He's, he's been doing it for so long, but he's always been aware of that. You know, the thing is, we always have to integrate all the new music into a tour, in most cases, when we have a new record out. So, you know, that's usually the thing that gets plopped in there, and then these other stuff comes in, too. Right. Well, what are some of the biggest differences between managing a tour? We can use Secret Story as an example, because you mentioned that earlier. Or even further back, like Letter from Home, as compared to recent tours, like with the Unity Group. Um... Not much. I mean, really, in the in the big picture of things, you know, the band's different, the size of the crew's different. You know, in, in the '80s, we were taking out giant lighting systems and sound systems and pianos and you know, nine crew people. <laughs> you know, there was like those are big tours. They were very big tours. Nowadays, I mean, for the Kin tour, we we could have brought lights and sound and stuff like that, but you know, you can't afford to do that anymore. It's just it got it got so expensive that it just wasn't really worth doing, and you know, we we got by fine. I mean, the shows look beautiful. We we just sort of did it on a little smaller scale, but it's always about the music. You know, you can have awesome lights, but if the music's not happening, <laughs> it's not going to really make much of a difference unless you just like to look at lights and you don't care. <laughs> but most people don't want to pay seventy five dollars to you know do that. Right. Yeah. Well, okay. So, well, let me ask you this: If you had to pick like one really bad touring situation <laughs> that sticks out in, in your mind, sort of over all the years, what would it be, and, and how did you deal with it? Well, 
There's one I can think of, but I'm not going to share that on the tape. <laughs> I will. I will call you later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that one I don't really want to discuss on tape. Um, you know, there's. I can't think of anything that was actually really horrible. I mean, in the early days, the worst part was like, you know, I could get a call at three o'clock in the morning. Hey, the bus broke down. What do we do? You know, and it's like, hey, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm in Boston. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, I got to get up. I got to call the bus company. You know, we got to kind of try to figure it out. Um, but again, it's it always everything runs through me. So whatever is happening, that's why I said before, like it's a you know three sixty five twenty four hour a day job. Anything that happens tends to run through me, as opposed to other people just dealing with it themselves. Um, so, uh, trying to think, I think, I think a couple of times when the buses broke down in the middle of the night, that was really stressful and difficult, but we never missed a gig. There was a couple of times actually once, um, once we were actually, when I was on the road, we were in Colorado and, um, we, we were in Aspen, I think, and we played Aspen and literally everything that could go wrong went wrong. You know, I, I think I brought Pat's like jeans and stuff to the cleaners, and then I got back there and they closed early. <laughs> so I had to like hunt down the dry cleaner and call them and make them come to the store and open it up. And then I remember I was eating dinner and the plate broke and went into my shoes and my pants and everything. And then I went out and the car was gone because it got towed. You know, it was like one of those. I've had you know a couple of road days like that on occasion. Just like everybody has. I mean, the tour managers that we do, I'm sure, would have better stories about that. Um, but, um, you know, as, as a manager, every day you just have to kind of, you know, keep an eye on what's going on, making sure everything's, you know, going okay. So, um, you know. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. What, um, so much I want to ask you, but I'm conscious of our time here. I mean, what are some examples of maybe how technology has impacted the way a tour is produced. I mean, for example, there's certain apps where you can almost run like three quarters of the nuts and bolts of everything required for a tour directly on your phone. I mean, could you imagine doing that 20 years ago? No, you couldn't do it 20 years ago. Um, it's funny because like Pat's going out to do just a short thing um, in about a week and a half. And on some of the shorter runs that he's doing on just you know, some solo stuff where I just sort of organize everything. I use like TripIt or WorldMate, whatever it's called, you know, one of these kind of travel apps. And I can pop all the flights on there and I can put down his itinerary and stuff. And it's on his iPhone. And if I need something changes, I can change it and on the fly and he'll get immediately updated information. So that stuff is, you know, and it's great. When we do tours, most of the time we, we still kind of use the books. Or everybody just follows the tour manager. <laughs> it's kind of like follow the leader. So, um, but yeah, with the advent of cell phones, I mean, it's probably the biggest thing. I mean, we can communicate like anywhere, anytime, you know, to make changes or do whatever we have to do worldwide. I mean, we just couldn't do that, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, I'm sure it would certainly help uh, hunting down those dry cleaners then in the middle of the night. Well, yeah, I had to beg the promoter. I said... I'm begging you, can you find it? He goes, well, I don't know. I said, okay, let me put it this way. There's no show tonight if I don't get those things. So you got to get this guy down here. You know, yeah. It kind of got down to that wasn't working. I have to go be a little harder about it. 
sure. Yeah, we yeah we had that was that was a rough that was a rough day, but you know the other three and a half months was pretty great. So sure. Okay, well um, to sort of wrap up the conversation we're having here, and I you know again I appreciate you taking the time to do this. I, it's mm-hmm. the things you're describing are just again it's things that people aren't aware of that happen behind the behind the scenes there. Mm-hmm. Um, if Okay, let me ask you this. If someone was interested in becoming a manager today, an artist manager, mm-hmm. what advice would you have to them? Well, the first thing is you have to have, if you're going to sign an artist, work with an artist, you have to have total passion for the work that you're going to do for them. And you have to love the music. And you have to actually like the person. <laughs> You know, it's like, I don't know, maybe, again, I'm only speaking from my own truth. Everybody's got their own truth or feelings about stuff. But I can't work with somebody I just don't like all that much, no matter how good they are. It's just, if I had to weigh the money against the, you know, having to deal with someone who I didn't want to deal with, then I just wouldn't do it. And I've passed on some artists that I could have worked with over the years and, uh, you know, I just I just wouldn't do it because it wasn't worth the aggravation. Um, and I, you know, again, I feel blessed that I've been working with Pat. I mean, Pat is you know like family. I mean, we've known each other for a really long time. You know, and we just we we know each other so well. We know what we're going to do for each other, and we kind of just you know have a really great relationship. It's kind of like a long marriage. You know, sometimes we get a little you know upset with each other, but that's fine. Nothing ever has come up that's been, you know, really terrible. The main thing is we really respect each other, and we, you know, and I certainly respect him a lot. And, you know, I just feel very fortunate that I'm in a situation where I've, you know, been able to spend more than half my life doing this. It's really amazing. Absolutely. All right. Well, just one last question here then. Um, I'm really curious. Have you heard any artists lately that really impressed you that maybe – people listening to should check out because I know that you're always listening to a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Well, there's actually, yeah, there's there's actually this band that I heard that really like knocked me out and it was like, and it came, actually it came into the office. Somebody sent me this thing and said, hey, I'm working with this band and they, uh, you know, they were from Sweden actually. And, you know, they, this guy who's like a leader of the band, he like, he's, he's really into like Pat's orchestrion thing. And some friend told me that, you know, we should send this to you because he's also into building instruments and stuff. And I figured, oh, okay, instrument builder. <laughs> so I played this music and it was like, oh, wow, I've never heard anything like this. This is really, really cool. So um, I got in touch with the guy and we're trying to do some stuff with them here. Uh, they're just, they're in the process of making another record, but they do have a record out. It's on iTunes. The guy who's sort of the leader of the band and who's actually now building, I can't even tell you, you can go to their website and check it out. It's like crazy. If you think Pat's orchestrion stuff's like wild, this, this, uh, this guy is like a mad scientist. So I guess when he finishes doing that, he'll, he'll go out and do some dates and we're trying to get them to, you know, get them over here at some point. And the group's called Wintergatten. It's like winter and then G-A-T-A-N. Wintergatten. So, yeah, so if you go to wintergatten.com, you can hear some of their music. There's stuff on the uh, there's stuff on YouTube also. The guys, Martin, who is the leader of the band, he he also did this video, which is really 
pretty cool. Or you can come to the curlandagency.com. I think I think we have their live videos up on the website now, so you can check that out too. Uh, there's actually there's more on there that you would probably wouldn't see on YouTube. But check Got them it. out. They're they're really cool. They're really yeah, really cool band. Very different. I appreciate you mentioning them. We'll definitely check them out. Yeah. Great. Well, listen, I David, thank you so much for taking your time today sure. to do this. It's it's really been an honor. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Great to talk. Hopefully, we'll uh, see each other soon. Okay, sounds good, Mike. Take care. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye.